Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, and we're back uh, with uh, Lynn and Jen uh, talking about sex and how to talk about sex. And today we're really focusing, uh, I think, on one of our, our foremost areas of interest, which is really to how to talk about sex with your children and teenagers. And uh, these uh, this area was highlighted for me when I toured uh, really the world, uh, you know, many countries in the world after the book uh, The Sex Lives of Teenagers was written and um, found that parents were asking everywhere, parents and teachers, how to talk with kids about sex. Um, parents would show up at, at uh, uh, activities for teenagers because they wanted to get a little bit of information and learn how to talk about sex. And parents stood up in group settings with hundreds of people and talked about their own sexual lives and how they were educated about sex. So I realized this is a subject that there's a lot of question about, a real strong desire to talk about, and an area where there really isn't a lot of open discussion, Jen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... What it brings up for me is sort of my background talking about sex, or maybe more accurately not talking about sex. You know, I really grew up in a not actually traditional Asian household, but when it came to the theme of sex, it was a very traditional Asian household in that you just didn't talk about it at all. And I remember like one conversation with my mom where she asked me whether I was using condoms, and by then I was. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever talked to my dad about sex. And I remember one strange conversation with my grandma where she was using the metaphor of like a snake. And it was very strange. (laughs) And I couldn't figure out like what she was talking about in the beginning. Our imaginations run wild with the idea of a snake. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, what is she talking about? And it wasn't until I walked away that I was like, oh my God, my grandma was trying to have this sex conversation with me. Uh And in a way it was great because it showed that, you know, she was trying to bridge this huge, huge cultural gap. Uh And yet it was so awkward and we never brought it up again. And that was really how my sexual education in terms of the parental aspect went. And I'm guessing this is the grandmother who was in Taiwan? Yes. And, uh, you know, for our listeners who don't know this, uh, your grandmother uh, is a teacher and was a principal. Yeah. And a very well-educated woman. So I can imagine her reaching across the world to have a conversation with you about sex and and. You know, I still don't know how the stake would fit in, but uh, it's important. It's high stake, shall we say. Well, a snake. Oh, she snake. Talking about snakes. Oh, snake. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that has a metaphor in many Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, because I grew up in uh, French-Canadian culture. My dad, my name's Ponton, and um, my dad was more open, maybe because of French cultural men background. He's willing to talk about sex. He brought up on several occasions, was I using birth control as soon as it became available in the late 60s and was concerned about me. I was a young teen at that time. And uh, he was concerned and really worried that this might affect my life. So uh, that was very helpful. At the same time, I was raising Catholic culture, and my mother was saying, you should wait until you're married to have any sexual intercourse. Yeah. So you get a very different, a mixed message 
Yeah. You know, and I think many of even the kids we work with today are getting mixed messages about this whole topic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe after this to then move on and talk about some basic thoughts or guidelines for parents out there. How can you begin these conversations? What age do you think parents should be having these conversations with their kids? I really think even before school, so preschool, I think very young. And I'm not talking about like engaging in long sexual conversations with kids, obviously, but I'm talking about body boundaries. I'm talking about understanding. Um, you and I had just talked about, you know, kids have questions. Maybe they wonder about, oh, why does that person have two moms? Why does that person have two dads? I've had some preschoolers who are a bit more language advanced ask questions about like, well, where do babies come from? And a lot of parents aren't prepared to ask, answer that to a preschooler. I was remembering when I was a mom of two preschoolers and I would pick them up and drive a whole group of them around on school trips, preschool trips. And that question came up. You know, there were two or three moms in the San Francisco preschool yeah. or two or three couples where it was all moms. There mm-hmm. was a couple, one couple's all dads. And, yeah. And the preschoolers got into a big discussion about why they thought this was happening and why this child had this constellation. So I think this is one of the early ways it comes up. There's also the whole question of body parts. Mm-hmm. Um, bathrooms in preschool, sharing body parts, sex play, mm-hmm. you know, all of that is something that parents are really drawn into even before a child goes to school. And I think that's surprising for a lot of parents. It catches them off guard. There's still a lot of shame around talking about sex. And so sometimes parents feel very left to their own devices to figure out, well, okay, my kid's in preschool. Like, who can I really talk to about this? Right. And you see it in a lot of advice columns. I was recently reading about newborns because I've become a, a grandmother, so I'm a newborn baby. And they were talking about newborns playing with their vaginas and their penises. And, uh, you know, so what to expect from your baby? And this was right up there. And, of course, how to deal with this and acceptance and encouragement and how to at least not interfere with the process. But it starts really early, I think, these questions um, one thing that I think does help if you find a way to become more comfortable yourself talking with children about sex and, or at least admit that you're embarrassed about it, um, you know, and that you feel uneasy, I think it's better to admit the embarrassment because your kids are going to pick up on it. That's what I was going to say. I don't know that I like the word comfortable. I don't think a lot of people are very comfortable talking to their children or teens about sex. But I do think you have to be prepared because at some point it's going to come up. And I think the big idea to get across that helps a lot of the parents that I work with is, look, your kids are going to get this information one way or another, especially with the Internet. I mean, they can just go online and look things up. And so if you really want them to at least consider, if not share your values, you need to be the one communicating them. And even, you know, I go back to your grandmother where I was thinking it was a snake and you're thinking it's a snake. It's it's an easy subject to confuse. So you want to come back to it again and again. And kids, too, confuse the terms. Mm -hmm. They wonder about it. They have the questions. You might even, as a parent, if, it's, say, a subject's come up, why does this family have two moms? You might go back and say to your child, 
ne- the next week, you know, I remember that conversation we had. How, what are you thinking about that? And, you know, that leads them, I think, to think more about it and really develop their own ideas. And I think that's really the idea. It's a little bit scary for parents, but it's not that you want to like implant your ideas into your child, but really you want to help them foster and grow their own. Yeah. This gets to the whole concept of sexual identity, which is really a complex part of our sexuality and our very being and really is more about our fantasies, our thoughts, our ideas, our relationships. Of course, it's about our sexual orientation and our gender, but it's much more complicated than that. And a big part of of parenting is to really help your child really develop, you know, hopefully at least a basic sexual identity and, you know, really more ideally a more complex sexual identity that the child themselves actually works on. And it's through these conversations and exploring different ideas and welcoming them that I think makes a big difference. I mean, one of the big things I see, which is really encouraging to me with my clients, is that a lot more parents I see want to have these conversations. I still see a lot of parents that also don't want to have these conversations, Mm -hmm. but I do see more parents that want to and they don't know how to or they don't know how to approach it. And I think it's not that it's too late if you're getting to these conversations by the time you're a teen, it's just very helpful if you start early because then it's sort of an established routine. More of an openness where the child expects so they can bring things up. Right. If they see something in the newspaper or read something, you know, they'll bring it back to you and say, hey, mom, what about this? And this brings up, you can fail to answer some of these questions or answer them incorrectly and then go back in with your child and say, look, I wasn't so direct about this. I really didn't say what this word meant because I thought you wouldn't even know the word. And by then your child's probably looked them up on Wikipedia and you've got a whole different conversation going on. But it's important, I think, to admit mistakes and admit that this is an area where you're both growing and really learning. You are very big in talking about roadblocks and kind of consistent patterns. What are some of the roadblocks you think that teenagers uh, face when they're starting to have these conversations? What negative patterns do they fall into around this? I mean, this is probably a little bit cliche, but the biggest one is, oh, my parents are going to judge me. Mm -hmm. That I hear pretty much all the time from different clients. And I can confirm that in some examples when I've worked with the teens and their parents initially, that is where parents come from. And I think it comes from different places. And we can talk a bit more about where those ideas come from, because I think that's helpful. But that is number one, probably what I hear is, oh, my parents are going to judge me. I think also teens will blow off their parents' interests. So even if parents are doing a the reaching out process, teens will just say kind of, oh, well, you know, I find out from my friends or I find out from school. And I think it's easy because this isn't an easy conversation to have for parents to say, oh, okay, well, you know, they've got it handled. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of feelings that come up. There's embarrassment. (laughs) I think people feel ashamed at times. I also think sometimes kids think, oh, well, you know, my parents don't care. They think I'm too young. Um, or, you know, they have their own lives. They don't want to talk about it. Another big one is the I know. You know, so mm. parents starts talking about something, teen cuts them off. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, 
you're chuckling probably because you hear that a lot too. Um, but yeah, I anytime mean, we try to give them direct <laughs> advice, they know it. <laughs> they already know. They already know everything, right? Um, but yeah, I think that another one that maybe isn't talked about as often, but I do hear maybe as I work more with a teen and they trust me more is, you know, well, I worry that I'm going to disappoint my parents. You know, I think a lot of teens look up to their parents and they're worried about, you know, well, what if I make this choice and then my parents are going to be disappointed in me and they don't know how to resolve that. And so many teens don't want to make their parents unhappy. Yeah. You know, parents think they're making me unhappy a lot. Why is this happening? But the teenagers really are saying to us, I want to protect my parents. I don't want them to know about the risk I'm really facing out there in life. Yeah. Yeah. But then that leaves them somewhat on their own. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. then they're afraid to say what's really going on. That's why the openness is so important. You want to hear as a parent about their struggles. You really want to hear about these tough things they're going through. Well, I think to share maybe a little bit of my own personal struggles is that I think when it came to relationships, sometimes I would stay in a relationship longer because I felt like maybe in the beginning I didn't listen to one of my parents and some of their warnings and I didn't want to disappoint them and I didn't want to admit to myself that they were right. And so it was this complex thing where I was kind of stuck in a negative relationship that I wanted to get out of that I didn't feel I could get out of. And it was a very complex thing because I didn't have this foundational groundwork of, oh, well, even if things aren't going right, I can go to my parents. Yeah, and that's so important. I mean, so many teens uh, that I work with are struggling with their sexual identity, and they define it in opposition to their parents, what you're talking about. So then once it's defined in opposition, well, I'm not what my parents are. I'm not that boring older person who doesn't talk about sex. I'm this. Yeah. And then you end up in a very different type of problematic relationship. Yeah. It is hard if you're disconnected from the parents and you really can't go back and say, Mom, Dad, what about this? I'm worried now. Yeah. You know, and that, that happens to a lot of people with the, the lack of conversation about this stuff. Yeah, and I don't want to, like, badmouth my parents here. Like, yeah. I love them, and they're yeah. such a great support in other ways. But really, when it comes to sex and sexuality, they're very absent in that way. Well, I think my mother's lack of ability, you know, her, let's say, I won't say rigid, but structured view in the Catholic sense about what sexuality and sexual behavior should be, really contributed to me wanting a very different model. Yeah. You know, because a model like that didn't work for me personally. It might have worked for my brothers and sisters, but it did not work for me. Mm-hmm. And it really led me very early on to go in a different direction. Uh, but uh, it still was difficult because we did not have open communication in that area. It was really stressful at times. I think it makes it very stressful, too, because as we talked about earlier, sexuality is such an integral part of our identity because it's not just about like who you're having sex with and it's not necessarily just about having sex either. And so if you're not having conversations about sex, but you're, it extends kind of to that whole arena. And so then I would have trouble talking sometimes about gender issues or power issues or And I've definitely grown my relationship with my parents Mm. over time. I still wouldn't say it's, you know, this completely open, I can talk about anything relationship. 
But certainly I feel I can talk more about my relationships. I can talk about different things. And I think it's part of what inspired me to be interested in learning more about sex because I came from this perspective of, well, I didn't have this and what would I like to have and how can I help my clients? Because it would have been so helpful in so many ways. Right. So we really try, you and I, to have these conversations with the kids we see and the parents we see. Mistakes I see that parents make, we've already talked about our yeah. kind of our own parents, but moms and dads can be really judgmental. You know, and often the outer world, the broader culture, encourages parents to be judgmental about sexuality. So you have that construction operating, and parents feel like they aren't doing a good job unless they give certain assessments or judgments or share them with their children. And so that, I think, is a risk factor that they're very judgmental. Um, they may not have worked out their own sexuality. You get to the fact that many parents have very, very limited views of their own sexuality. And in different podcasts, we've talked about how parents are working on their own sexual issues and they're starting at a level, you know, different level. Right. But it's really important to not be working out your own issues with your kids. Right. And otherwise it affects everything. And then to stay open, I think, to the path your child is choosing. If your child is choosing to move in one direction around sexual orientation or maybe power dynamics or sexual fantasy. You know, you you can grow with them, mm -hmm. you know, as you learn from them about these new areas, really. And I think what's so fantastic about that, what you're talking about, is really building a partnership. You're not, you know, it's not this one directional, like, let me just tell you what you need to do and the child being lectured to. Because a lot of times I hear that with my teens too. Well, you know, I would want to talk to my mom about this, but, you know, she's probably going to sit me down for a five-hour lecture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who wants to sit down to a five-hour lecture that they are, you know, kind of edgy about hearing anyways. Right. Especially about sex. Yeah. I think other issues that we see with parents, kind of the, the red flags are areas where parents are, um, maybe too permissive around sexual areas. They haven't worked this out themselves. And this affects their parenting of kids. So you see this with, uh, you know, high rates of divorce in California, 60%. So you see parents di really divorced, dating, and exposing children to a variety of partners and even sexual relationships. And it's confusing really for young kids around this area. It doesn't mean parents shouldn't get divorced. Parents have to right. you know, really pursue their own desires too. Uh, but they should be aware of the sexual arena with kids and how it affects them. And I've had a lot of little kids in therapy come in and say, well, each of my parents now has a new partner and how are we going to work this? And, you know, it, it's very complicated, I think, for kids. So for parents who are going through divorce and, and shifting through this, I think to be aware of the sexual impact of this on even very young children. Yeah, and I see that actually as you're bringing that up, that comes up for me in sessions too with very young kids. Is I think sometimes parents, whether it be out of fear, whether it be out of just finally, you know, after a long, terrible relationship, finally pursuing something you want, it can come from all different places, but I think sometimes the kids get forgotten in a bit. Mm -hmm. And 
particularly with very young kids, it's kind of, well, you know, they'll get over it, they'll get used to it, or they don't know anything else, so this is just how it'll be. And I see that that can be very harmful for kids and that it can be relatively easily remedied by having these conversations, by being able to talk some in age-appropriate language about what's going on. Right, and even uh, with younger children, you can play with them. Yeah. And through play, (laughs) sorry for the sneeze, uh, but even through play, you can uh, really help them work things out. Because I find out a lot from four- and five-year-olds by having a lot of Playmobil toys. Yeah. And they play out all these relationships. So if you sit down on the floor with them for 20 minutes, you get an, really a bird's-eye view of what's going on in their lives. So I think that's really an important area for parents of preschoolers to be aware of. And you can use play. You don't even have to be playing with them, but you have to witness and be part of the play, at least be there and be present. Well, I think kids are constantly trying to interpret their world in a way that a lot of adults are wanting to interpret their world. And kids that don't have words will use their play. Yeah. The other area I think we see with parents is parents will try to cut peers out of the conversation. Yeah. And it's sexual conversation. And peers provide a lot of sexual information for children and teenagers. And I think you were talking earlier about partnering. You can even partner some with peers and say, yeah, let's take that further. What do you think about this conversation you have with your best friend about sex? You know, I think these are important. Best friends provide a lot of information about sex. And really, how do we work together to really increase your child's sexual knowledge? And I think what comes to mind for me when you're bringing that up is that you were talking about like carpooling that's a great time to be able to have some of these conversations because you don't have to be as face to face which i know is really hard for a lot of parents and for the teens and to just bring up some of maybe the more casual things as a way to set a tone for this is a safe place we can talk about these things yeah uh, the car the car was a real surprise for me as a parent because you often have the radio going and right. you want to kind of keep the headphones down so you can have conversations. But it was really an ideal opportunity with teens and, uh, you know, kids a little bit younger than that to have really open conversations. And even it's funny because I after having written a book about sex, other teens that I'd be driving home would bring up sexual subjects because they felt like my car might have been a safer one. So if you establish an environment, you will have many, many more open conversations with not only your kids, but with other kids really about sexual matters. Well, I think what that brings up is that kids really want to be talking about these things. They're curious, and I think that's a fantastic thing. And I think a lot of times it gets shut down. And I think instead, if you allow them to be open and understand that, yes, sex can be an area that's fraught with risk, but that it's through these open conversations that you can help people understand what those boundaries are, what those decisions look like, how you end up in those situations and how to navigate them. Right. But even, you know, you bring up the important topic of risk, but even risk is the way, is a tool, taking risk. You know, uh, there is the dangerous risk, but there's also the healthy risk that really help us grow and establish who we are. So we need to take risks. We really need to assess risk. We really need to figure it out. And that goes for the sexual arena with kids. 
you want them thinking about what is the risk of this activity? You know, really, what can happen with this? And you want them to start to adopt that model rather than seeing it as overshadowed with dangerous risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a powerful thing to understand that shift that it's really risk can be this positive element in which you're exploring yourself and that it is a huge foundation to being able to grow self-esteem too. Right. And that attitude on the part of parents can really foster these conversations. Um, Another thought that I have about it is I think you can talk with your co-parent or the group of, of people that are involved in parenting your kids, and you can really work out an approach where everyone is playing a part in it. You know, maybe some people, maybe an aunt or an uncle, is more easily able to talk about sexual matters. Right. And so that person could take the lead. I Again, think of your grandmother and her snake. She was taking the lead yeah. you know, in the sexual arena. And uh, But that's important to have people that will bring these things up. And it has an impact on kids to impact. really be aware of that. And I think the other thing is, if you think about sex as being more than just the physical component of sex, I think then you can start to have conversations that you do feel somewhat more comfortable about. You can talk about boundaries. You can talk about crushes. I think it's important to remember that if you're starting young, then you aren't just like automatically launching into these, you know, super sex related topics as we think of sex and just kind of the physical act of it. But really, you're talking about building a sexual identity. And that's what talking about sex is. It's Mm -hmm. building it into a more complex part of your identity. Exactly. Uh, And recognizing that all of us have sexual lives. You know, even those little babies at six months, they're beginning to develop that. Their sexual identity and their sexual life is beginning. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't have a sexual partner that we're engaging in certain behaviors with, we have a sexual life. We have fantasies. We have masturbation. We have ideas. You know, we really, we have gender. We have sexual orientation. There's so many parts to our sexuality that really have to be talked about, brought out, and developed. And I think if you start to think about it as not just the sex talk, but really these periodic conversations, and I don't think you have to bring them up out of the blue, which is sometimes how I've heard parents do it from my teens. You know, oh, my parents just kind of sat me down and started talking about this. That creates much more tension. But if instead you talk about, you know, I've seen parents talk about how toys are gendered. I've heard... Parents talk about, you know, we did a podcast on Halloween costumes. So I think there's so many different things that you can talk about. You can talk about, oh, you know, that kid has two moms. There's so many different avenues. And if you just tackle these things kind of little by little, then you address a lot of the complex issues. But you don't feel like you have to, like, cram it all into this one or, you know, few talks. Right. The other, we've addressed peers and friends and the impact of that, but there's also the whole digital world, Mm -hmm. and that is providing, you know, it increases every year, but that provides at this point somewhere between maybe a third to a half of all sexual education. So I think it's also important for parents to be aware of the fact that your child can access pornography, your child can access a whole range of sexual activities 
that they couldn't just 10 years ago. Right. How do you handle that with the kids you work with and the families, really? I mean, I think you learn to talk about different risks, and you don't talk just about the dangers. You talk about, well, what are the pros to social media? Because a lot of times that's what the kids are focused on. And I think you help parents understand that in this arena, like kids very much are more of the experts and that that's okay. And that if you partner together, then they can have a more healthy relationship with these things. What I see a lot of times is parents will find out their kid has an Instagram and they'll just take away their phone or they'll just, you know, and sometimes there's not even a discussion. It's just, oh, you no longer have this or take away an email or close the account or, you know, however that's done. And I think instead you learn to talk with kids about, well, look, here are some of my concerns. If you're really young, maybe parents say, well, I know you may not like this, but, you know, I need to be your friend on this so that I know I can periodically check and make sure that you're, you know, not doing anything that could put you at risk. And I think it really comes back to conversations and understanding, too, that as a parent, sometimes you're going to have to be in a position where your team is upset at you and accepting that. Because mm-hmm. I see, that's a big thing I see actually, is a lot of kids will get upset and then the parents automatically kind of acquiesce. And that's not one, that's not a very good, you know, modeling <clears throat> for power dynamics. But also I think then you get away from opportunities to have these conversations about what is really going on, where is the parent coming from, the parent being able to listen and understand where their teen or child is coming from. And that's really what we're encouraging is take advantage of those opportunities. And with the internet in particular, a parent could sit down. There's a great uh, website, Sex, etc., run by Rutgers University that provides a lot of information. And they could say, here's a place for you to start asking questions too, looking what other teens have to say. They have teen advisors on this. And that's an opportunity to really open up that part of it. Uh, On the counterpart, I've seen dads really kind of hand their sons over to porno sites and say, look into this so that you can then know how to have sex. And uh, that you've got got a whole lot of issues to work with with those parents and of course probably the parents listening are not doing that but you know it's something to be aware of that uh, there are boys and girls who've really had this exposure. Well I think what it speaks to is that because sex can be such an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people there's a desire on some level to push it off onto others so whether it Mm -hmm. be pornography whether it be you know, your your child's friends, whether it be sex ed in school. And one thing that comes up with me for that that's really lacking, and I think why I was so excited about mm-hmm. recording some of these conversations, is there's a lot of education, more so now because of the internet as well, about the physical components of sexual relationships and, you know, the reproductive process and all of that, but there isn't really as much about the relational component and the emotional component. And because we're therapists, mm-hmm. I mean, you're a psychiatrist, yeah. but we both do therapy. We both do therapy with yeah. kids with around kids. sexual matters. Yeah. yeah. And even adults, you know, yeah. it comes up. And so I find 
that's so crucial to them. I often find them coming back and being like, oh, like I knew about this, but I never thought about this aspect. I never thought about the power in this relationship. I never thought about what I really wanted. I never thought about the fact that maybe I've never had an orgasm. Mm. And I think in building relationships and modeling and teaching open communication, I mean, you can tell your child that you think open communication is good, and if you're not doing that, then it creates a mixed message. Right, and we think about uh, that open communication when you look at traditional sexual education in the schools. Uh, first, there's been a fight about it. So some schools <laughs> in some states did not even have it for generations. But uh, now it's back in most schools. And there's some component of it. It may be linked with a kind of uh, specific philosophy, such as virginity only, you know, that type of philosophy. But uh, it also offers another arena. But one thing I think that's hard about sexual education in large groups, because I have done that, I participated a lot in it with teens and high school and middle schoolers, is that it's hard to have open conversations when you're part of a large group and more often it's somebody showing you a movie or right. you know exposing you to the parts of the internet and giving you lots of information and it's much harder to sit back and think well what are my ideas really about sex and where does my identity fit in all of this yeah and i think the idea of small groups for that kind of thing is great and i think it creates a community where you can feel more safe exploring some of these ideas and to build on that, I think it's really important that right now sex ed is very much kind of split up between girls and boys. And I think in some ways that can be helpful in terms of asking questions. Girls may not feel comfortable asking certain questions in front of boys. Boys may not feel comfortable asking certain questions in front of girls. But I think in terms of the co-education part of, you know, well, how does the reproductive system work? How does um, all of the things that, you know, are important for both genders to know, I think right now there's this sort of separation idea. And I think that gets away from the idea that, well, it affects everybody and everybody needs to know. And it it, it polarizes the genders to yeah. split it that way. You know, little boys and older boys and men never really know, you know, have aspect, understand aspects of female development. I mean, Recently, I've had a lot of exposure to young women having babies. So, you know, there's the aspect of men and boys in the culture really not understanding mm -hmm. many important parts of this. They've missed it entirely, and it keeps them out of that world. And uh, it really is not good. You know, there should be discussions about entire aspects of this sharing. Yeah, and so I think being able to figure out, okay, well, how do you create places that feel safe for people so that they can ask certain questions but how do you also encourage the questions and the conversations across the genders across different groups really so that you can be able to see the other person's side or at least hear the other person's side and get different perspectives and with sex ed i think parents have to know what their children are really experiencing or have access to in school yeah. And then combine it with the process at home. Think about the friends as being part of it. Think about extended family members as being part of the conversations. Think about online as being part of the conversations. 
but it doesn't take away from what parents themselves have to do. And this is what you're saying. You don't want to shove this important job off on someone else. And even along those lines is that I still see that a a lot of these conversations, if initiated at all, they're initiated by mothers. And I think in doing that, we really are kind of robbing our children of the opportunity to hear all the wisdom that fathers have. Right. And one of the things that's come up around this with the selectivity is that then boys are more likely to choose a traditional a gender role that they might find in the media or they might hear about, yeah. and they don't have a nuanced version, really, of their own sexuality. And it's a conversation with a willing dad or uncle or mm-hmm. older brother that really might help a boy think about some of these things differently, such as, you know, how do you treat a partner and how do you deal with a breakup yeah. when it's really painful? And, you know, of course, there's the specifics around position and uh, sexual positions and sexual times and all of those struggles. But these other things have to be talked about, too. And I think what you brought up there is sex in the U.S. is very interesting because it's such at the extremes. It's sort of like there's radio silence and Mm -hmm. then there's the very, like, explicit culture that we're in. And I think that can be very hard to navigate. How do you find a middle ground between that? You know, you one, you're not talking about anything, and the other, it's, like, constantly in your face. And I think if you start young talking about, well, this is the culture we're in, this is how it is, and even talking if you do some research about other cultures and how they handle sex and sexuality, I think that can really open more of a partnership type of relationship between you and your child. For example, the Netherlands, and we've talked about them, their programs a little bit before, but they have an open educational program that begins in preschool, really talks about sexuality, and really focuses it very differently. And that open discussion leads to less sexual risk-taking in adolescence. Mm-hmm. You know, America has one of the highest rates of sexual risk behaviors, negative sexual risk behaviors, unprotected, yeah. you know, sexuality, pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases of any country. And part of it is because we really are polarized in the way you're saying, Jennifer. Yeah, and I think that leaves very few options. Or, Well, it doesn't leave few options. It leaves the appearance of few options. Yeah, yeah. People, our kids really haven't even thought about the possibilities there. And uh, then they're more vulnerable, I think, to the negative sexual influences. Yeah. And uh, so it's really important to start these conversations. Well, on this note, I think we're going to end this conversation. It's a really important one. I think we will come back to it at a later point in our podcast. But I think staying open, you know, to conversations with kids uh, really initiating them, encouraging them to think about their own sexuality, looking at sexual identity as a whole and not just one or two things. All of these things make a big difference, really, in terms of being an adult talking with kids about sex. Yeah, those are all really important points. I would add to that that as a parent, reminding yourself that it's okay that this isn't easy for you (laughs) and not having to go in feeling like you are an expert and you know 
I think that's something that I encounter with parents a lot of the times is they want to give the impression to their child that they're making good choices all the time and that, you know, they're, I don't know if perfect is the right word, but it's the word that's coming to mind right now. And I think kids, just as adults, learn very much from the choices that maybe led down paths that were more challenging. And we learn through those challenges and we learn through failures. And I think if you can explore some of those ideas and you can recognize in yourself that when you're talking to your child, you don't have to go in as like, oh, I've made all these fantastic choices in my life. So just do all these things. I think that really opens a dialogue of, look, when I was your age, this was the choice I made. And being able to share from that, I think, is very helpful. Really helpful. Well, thanks again, Jen. That's another great conversation. This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcasts at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.